Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and website, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. And I think sometimes people think they can go from here to there really quickly but actually if you're kind to yourself and you just give yourself some space to shut yourself away and make those things happen then I think if it's meant to be it does yeah and if it doesn't that's a lesson that will get you to where you should be on something else welcome to imprint a podcast about creating a home and life you love I'm Natalie Walton an interior designer stylist and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Imprint. I'm very excited to share today's conversation with you. It is with Ali Heath who is a UK-based interiors journalist, stylist, creative consultant, interior designer, and author who has 
about 20 years experience working in the world of interiors, magazines, as well as with private clients. And some of you will definitely be familiar with her first book, which is called Curate. She created that with Australian interior stylist Linda Gardner and also Australian photographer Marnie Horson, who has also been featured on the podcast. And as we go live with this episode, her second book called Create will be about to hit the bookshelves. Um, It's all about mixing new and old pieces in the home and um, be sure to go and check out that. I hope that you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. It's all about her creative journey, all about the worlds of interiors and how the world of magazines has changed and what she is pivoting to next. So please enjoy Ali Heath. Hello, Ali. I'm so excited to have you join me for the podcast. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about all things interiors, your career, your books, all the things. So first of all, I really think it's um, interesting and insightful to get a little bit of a backstory to how you got to this point and, um, and kind of like to go, you know, back to childhood and those early years of, did you have an inkling then when you look back that you were creative as a child or were you surrounded with by creative parents? What was your kind of childhood like getting to those points where you're having to decide what you want to do after school? Hi, Natalie. Well, firstly, thank you very much for inviting me on. Um, I love your podcast. So it's a pleasure. Um, it's a pleasure to chat with you. Um, gosh, growing up, um, there was definitely creativity around, but it wasn't sort of formal creativity. I think my mum, my mum was a stay-at-home mum. She was a dressmaker. Um, she made loads of our clothes. She knitted. You know, she was always knitting, doing tapestry, baking. And we, you know, as small kids, we did have lessons and things with her sort of every week. So it was it was definitely sort of a unknowingly creative house. Um, my dad was, you know, in a corporate job. Um, and I think later in life, he definitely loved to draw. And he was always good at carpentry and woodwork, you know, woodwork at carpentry. But it, it wasn't, we didn't, I didn't have any interior people in my life or, any sort of big role models um so I, I guess at school I loved um I always loved English so I think and I think somewhere in my head I sort of had a notion that I probably would like to write books of some description um but didn't ever really go on a path to becoming a writer um I always loved art so it was creative but it was that sort of balance between being quite academic and you know, for for my degree, I studied European business and German. Um, so I kind of imagined that I was going to live in Switzerland. Um, I wanted a gap here. I did a ski season, did a couple of ski seasons and, and genuinely thought that I would sort of, I think we were the generation that were told that you could kind of have it all. Um, and we're really encouraged at school to sort of be, you know, business with studies was was probably quite a relatively new subject. Um, yeah, and I genuinely sort of thought that I probably would end up in a, in a commercial company. Um, I graduated 
and worked, did the milk rounds um, and graduated and went to work for Marks and Spencers, uh, which at the point their graduate programme was was one of the really good ones. Um, and it was one of the only ones you didn't have to do psychometric tests to get onto because I was awful at all of that. Um, and I stayed with them for about two and a half years um, and ended up at... It was the year of the, all the redundancies. Um, so I would naturally have applied to go into buying. Um, but our intake was, you know, you went into stores and I became a commercial trainee and ended up at my second store. We did a, there was, you know, they had, had these lots of training sessions for um, all the grads going in. And my second store, I ended up um, meeting a girl who I'd met on my first induction day, who's now become sort of a lifelong friend. And we ended up at the chairman's store and I ran home furnishings. Um, so it was sort of a baptism of fire slightly into trusting your intuition. Um, I think learning how to chat to people at quite a senior level at quite a young age, you know, at 23, it could have been quite intimidating. Um, but I really did love it. Um, and I think it just gave me a taste of, I just wanted to explore things. I kind of wasn't ready to settle. I think I joined MS thinking I would end up in the office, didn't want to wait. So after two and a half years, you know, we were appointed and moving on. Um, I decided to go and work for a company called Craft Foods and worked for them in marketing and sales. And then got excited about moving across to the agency world. Uh, we, you know, we were on big ad campaigns for the brands we were working on. And the, the sort of the glamour of the agency side seemed much more compelling. So again, I moved again. Um, and I just, re I remember being told by a headhunters at that point that, you know, you're sort of that age where you are being, you know, they do call you up. And I remember this one chap, and I can't remember his name, but he just, his, the memory of him saying to me, you can be anything you want to be. You just have to believe it. Um, you know, I think now it's quite it's quite normal, isn't it? You know, we're all quite multifaceted. If we're doing our own thing, I think that's actually become something that's okay. Um, and is encouraged, you know, like you with all the things that you're doing, you wear lots of hats. Whereas I think in my twenties, I sort of felt slightly like, oh, I'm moving around a little bit. Um, when, you know, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, or, you know, you're on a straight career path. And I never really felt that I had that. Um, Agency life I loved. We were with a really dynamic, um, it was a sort of top 10 below the line agency. Um, so what does that mean? the partners. Sorry, can I just interrupt so, you? So sorry. Because I saw that um, on your on your one of your bios about a below the line agency. And I was like, oh, okay, what, what actually, you know, for people who aren't in that kind of world. And I should also add that for those of you who are listening into America, I know that Marks and Spencers is an incredibly established brand in the UK, but how would you describe Marks and Spencer to someone who is maybe not familiar with that brand? I mean, it's it's kind of like everything, isn't it? Like a, It's like they do clothing and, I mean, everything really. It's, but it's not a department yeah, I mean, store. At, at the time. <laughs> yeah. No, it's sort of a house. It's quite a household brand, which you know, sort of back in the 90s, um, you know, obviously it all keeps evolving. They're still a huge brand. But at that point, they were launching food. You know, they were doing clothing, homeware. Um, 
huge food halls. They were, you know, at that stage, they were really quite a force to be reckoned with. So they were, they were brilliant training. Um, and was it, sorry gem- if I'm speaking too quickly. No, 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 no. And was it like a general, because you said you got in, um, you went into their, their program and was that like a business program or just a sort of, um, what type of program was it? Was it like a specific, particular so they, niche? They did, it was a graduate training program and you either went in as a finance personnel, you know, HR now, um, or commercial and right, I went okay. in as a commercial trainee okay. and they they basically sort of moved you around a few stores we got very lucky I think going into the chairman's it was the chairman's local so the the home furnishing section was the number two at that point in the business so it was quite a lot of pressure you know you'd sort of have this entourage of um, the chairman lived 10 minutes down the road so literally you know a couple of times a week he would be in and all the head office directors would be in. So you had a lot of exposure. And I think you sort of had to learn on your feet. I, I learned to think on my feet a lot then. Um, you know, all our numbers would be given to us on a Monday. You know, huge, great big, it's just sort of showing my age, but you'd be given these huge print-offs. And literally, we would all go home and chant in the bath um, and have, we, we, you know, you would be expected to know every product on the week and on the year. Um, and then have an opinion about sort of trends and what was happening. So I think not going directly into a buying role, it was actually really exciting because you you did influence buying decisions with the team that you were walking around. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. And on the agency side. Yeah, so, yeah, what's, so it was what's, interesting it below, what, what's a below-the-line agency? So it's basically everything bar TV. Um, So we didn't do TV commercials. It was everything else, um, you know, underneath that. So basically working with big brands um, to, you know, launch their products, to develop new ideas. And I was there for about five years and ended up running new business for them. So we were pitching, um, you know, every probably every two weeks to different companies. Um, And it was brilliant. Uh, I loved it. It was very dynamic. Lots of really buzzy people to be around. But I, I think I definitely knew I hit 30 and I definitely realized that actually I really wanted to do my own thing. Um, and I definitely didn't want to have children in that environment. Um, so it's sort of, you know, my, my sort of progression into what I'm doing now was really quite... Um, you know, it's sort of serendipitous in a way. I, I left to set up randomly an antiques company. Um, my best friend at uni, her parents were antique dealers. And I sort of would never forget, I mentioned her in the book, actually, them in the book, that I just never forget as a kid, you know, I didn't grow up in a house with old things. You know, our f- furniture was all new and literally arrived at their house in Chester. Um, and there were just outbuildings full of the most amazing stock and their house was filled with, you know, all these curios and gorgeous pieces. And I think somewhere it had just stayed in my head. Um, and I hit 30 and just thought, actually, I, I, I really want to go and do my own thing. And I think as a couple, we probably definitely, my husband's corporate, um, you know, he's got a corporate role. And I think we probably just both realised that actually, to both keep going like that, sort of both working full on 
in big jobs, it wasn't the environment we wanted to bring kids into the world in. And we didn't have children at that point, but literally I left agency, um, swapped my lovely sports car for a van. Um, and, you know, within actually within four weeks, fell pregnant with Gracie. So everything sort of changed really quite quickly. Um, I'm and I traded for about four years. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm just curious, did you... Um... Because, you know, to to take that leap, to leave something that's quite secure, like you say, like financially, you know, very financially secure as well as, you know, all the other sort of things of like yeah. you're an employee. Um, did you kind of save up a certain amount of money thinking like I've got to have this much to kind of see me through or like what was there any fear about kind of going I'm going to do this big transition or had you reached a tipping point in some other way that you felt, no, 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 I have to do this. I think there was fear, but it was, we, we moved. So we, we decided to sell our house. Um, it was our first house that we bought and we made some money on the house and I took out, it was a really nominal amount of money. I think I took out, um, you know, my husband Ian agreed that I think I set aside it's about fifteen thousand pounds to start buying stock, um, and you know I was probably quite a shopper. I liked nice clothes and I liked buying. You know, I liked nice things, and it was on the proviso that I I knew that for, for probably definitely for the first two years that I didn't buy anything from you know for me. It was just literally money to go into the business. Um, and that had to keep me going. Um, and that had to be sort of self-funding. If it didn't work, that was my pot to play with in a way. Um, and I think I realized quite early on that I probably bought more than I sold, <laughs> fell in love with more than I sold. And I think um, what I was doing evolved quite a bit. You know, I, we nearly bought a shop in Tetbury. We nearly lived in Tetbury. Um, but we decided that the commute would have been crazy for my husband. Like sort of three hours each way, it was slightly bonkers. So I took some space in an antique centre. I had a really lovely sort of upstairs vaulted space. Um, and from that, lots of things kind of fell out. I started, I was approached by a couple of big retailers over here to buy antique stock for them um for their showrooms and for their high street stores so that was sort of like another little revenue stream um and people approached me to come and do interior design projects for them um at that point no one was reading the whole french look which was quite big at that point in the sort of early 90s um so it just sort of slowly evolved and grew and i didn't really know what i was doing um but i just bought what i loved um yeah, and, and and got stuck in really. Um, my, I then had my second child, so we have we've got two, and I think sort of four years in, I realised that actually getting up at silly o'clock to do fairs was quite crazy. It was okay with one at five weeks. Gracie was coming in the van with me, and I was breastfeeding her before I went buying stock at you know the big markets. And that was okay with one, with two. When the other one was a toddler, it was slightly bonkers. So at that stage, I transitioned again um, and started doing consultancy. Um, I went back to consultancy. 
for the place that I I had space in. So um, was that got um, to know. Was, sorry was that um, consultancy back with the marketing people or in antiques? Yes, right for for the marketing. So it was company. it was using it was using my marketing experience but for the people where I'd actually taken space in their antique center. Right. And they wanted to sort of turn themselves into a lifestyle showroom. Um, And I bought people like Mulberry on board, Cabbages and Roses, um, different retailers that came in and had concessions. And we started linking to magazines and doing advertising with magazines, um, research projects with mags. So I got to know a few editors um, and that's really how the transition happened for me, sort of taking on styling and writing projects. Um, It was a world that I didn't really know. I hadn't really done much, had much contact with magazine editors direct. Um, And at the same time, sort of while this was all happening, we had a couple of features done at home to promote what I was doing with the antiques and I just thought oh actually I I love this you know you're I was probably styling my house anyway without really realizing they were styling skills um and I've always loved writing and I just thought actually now with two kids under five this is slightly bonkers going to all the antique fairs so I just gave it a go I teamed up with a photographer that came to shoot our house um and then some of the magazines gave me some really lucky breaks. So, yeah, I didn't really think too much about it, if I'm honest, Natalie. It was all, you know, if you look back now, if people ask you how you got into what you're doing with editorial work. Um, I think I was just, I think I was probably naive um, and slightly fearless because I didn't really know any better. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because we can... Um... I mean, it's only when we look back that we it starts to make sense about, you know, the path that we've been on and, and all those steps. But I think also, I mean, obviously, they must have recognized in you um, that you did have a sense of being able to put spaces together or your home was really presentable. I mean, you know, it's it's easy to sort of say it was lucky, but it wouldn't have happened, I think, if if that wasn't true. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of you still got to be able to have something that they value to want to be able to put it in their magazine or or whatever it is so um so yeah so then how long yeah did that's you, true yeah so how long did you end up then working with magazines and writing and what in what kind of capacity like can you kind of paint the picture of then what that sort of stint looked like working as a journalist and and a stylist in magazines um you know, was it so, was it finding well, so, homes or was it initially just writing about homes or, you know, what did that look like? And um, were you working for mainly just one or two mags or was it like a whole host of them? Um, yeah, paint the picture of what that all looks like. So I, I basically just started sourcing people whose spaces I liked, um, you know, initially locally, um, you know, shopkeepers. My my first ever shoot was with the lady who has done my first book launch and will do the second one. And we've become really good friends. And at the point, she had no idea that I had never done a, a shoot for somebody before. Um, and I think we sold that into country living and to the English home. And, you know, we were all thrilled. 
Um, and then I, I just approached people whose style I liked, to be honest. It was, it was very organic. Um, I, I'm probably quite approachable as a person. And they obviously, I'd started to build a website for my own work as an antiques dealer. So there was a, I guess there was evidence of the fact that I could put sets together or, you know, items together and I had a, pre a commercial presence. I didn't look like, you know, there was something tangible behind me. But it really was just sort of seeking out people that I was interested in. And over the years, that's, you know, I've, I've written, well, I write, so still, you know, it's still a big part of what, what I do. Um, for all the quality interior mags and the weekend press. Um, but it's generally, it's generally in the UK, always people that I generally go and shoot. So I like to style the shoots and write about the person and sell that story in. So you've kind of got, I guess there's a bit of a control freak within me that if I'm, if I'm writing about someone, I like to be able to do that from the start to the end. Um, and it doesn't always happen, you know, for example, with, with Marnie, um, we do lots of work together now, Marnie Horson, your Aussie photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we do lots of work together internationally. Um, and that's lovely because she's feeding me a whole different rafter of international stories you know your your look is very different to ours over here so that was quite a fascinating step change and I do that with other people now internationally so it I guess sort of I think lockdown we started we started working together um prior to lockdown but as a result of that I think magazines over here have changed quite a lot so although I'm still writing regularly for lots of UK titles I do syndicate um a lot of work now with our international library um living inside and that obviously then goes to a global audience yeah so how about then finding photographers to work with um you know it's it's such a an intimate relationship in a way like when you're working with a photographer on a shoot um you know i've worked with so many different photographers and they've all got you know different a different way of working just technically they've got different personalities um you know yeah, how, yeah. how have you found what works well for you in terms of finding a photographer and are the people that you tend to just work consistent I know you've mentioned Marnie Horson who's been on the podcast before um but yeah I'm just curious like what what works for you in the UK, it's definitely, I think in the early days, um, I worked with a couple of people that um, I had two really good editors at uh, Country Homes and Interiors at that point was the mag who both gave me some really good advice on people that they thought I would align really well with. Um, I realized sort of quite early on, it was dangerous having too many eggs in one basket. Um, and different properties require a different skill set. I mean, you, and I'm sure you find you found it probably exactly the same that you know some photographers are amazing at architectural shots or pullback shots, and there are others that I work with regularly that I know from a detail perspective that they're 
you know they will always create that magic they will find that the spot that you can see through the lens that you need your photographer to see with you um so i think building up a a sort of a network of people that i work with has been sort of quite slow but also quite deliberate um there've been some you know for example like michael sinclair alexander james um whose work I saw regularly in magazines um, and really wanted to work with them. So I think, you know, it's the same with all. I do quite a lot with Brent Darby, Alan Callender, Emma Lewis, and all of these guys have shot with me for my new book. And that was quite intentional. Again, for the same reason that I think I would always match the photographer to the homeowner in the home. I sort of wanted to carry on that because I'm art directing and because I'm styling it. I think you you keep that consistency of look because you sort of know what you want to achieve. Whereas they've all got a slightly different skill set and their own little version of, you know, their magic that they bring. But I think after sort of 17, 18 years, you now know who's the right person on the right type of story. Um, so it's been fun and you know and, and all of us have changed all of our lives have evolved um so at some point some people are shooting more and doing their own thing and then so it sort of comes full circle um yeah no, and for me it's I, I i love learning i love i love every different photographer it's bizarre they all shoot in a completely different way so i think i've actually learned quite a, a huge amount from each of them just about the process and I think if it teaches it's taught me anything it's that it it is really organic and there isn't one way of doing anything and actually whatever your way is that's that's okay it doesn't have to be formulaic whereas if I only shot with one person and then suddenly got thrown in you know on a commercial shoot or a um a shoot directly for a magazine with someone whose style was very different. I think that could throw you if you weren't used to working with people. Um, yeah. And I think giving people their space um, and knowing, you know, integrity is a really big thing for me um, in all, you know, in every area of my life. I think um, I, I get tend to get quite close to all the people that I shoot with and because they're, people that I really want to work with those relationships become really personal so it's also knowing that someone you put in front of them um, has got the same kind of moral values and ethics as you um, and will do a great job and won't try and you know the, the, the market for selling all of these features you know is quite can be quite complicated concert so I think it's really nice for me to have control whoever I'm working with I do the selling so I think there's peace of mind then for all the homeowners that that you're you're putting them in the right publications not just selling a story to earn a fee it's because that mag matches their brand or their personality you know it's it's a good fit it's not just a, a sale yeah no um yeah, I'm curious as well to hear your perspective on, you know, the changing landscape of magazines, because obviously, you know, that well, that was my world for a long time. And um, I kind of stepped back from doing the sorts of shoots that I guess you're 
still doing, you know, shooting other people's homes. I mean, if anything, I do that now more for either my books or through um, my brand Imprint House and we do home tours and, and that kind of thing. So I'm still using that skill set, but yeah. in a different application. And I know for me, like one of the big things was, you know, in the early days, it was like magazines. I mean, when I was on staff, they were desperate to try and find homes because it was, you know, so challenging. This was before Instagram. And and I feel like Instagram really changed the whole nature of it being so much easier for magazines to find homes. And so it wasn't um, as much of a challenge for, you know, for them. And if anything, where people were reaching out and all of those things. And, and obviously, um, I'm sure it's very similar in the UK, you know, magazine sales have really gone down, you, you know, they're not where they once were. I mean, even I see, you know, the, uh, the thickness of a magazine, you know, that's always a sign of the health of a magazine. Like once upon a time, they were so thick and filled with ads and, and now it's all changed. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm just curious to kind of get your perspective as someone who's still, I guess, working with magazines on a more regular basis. Um, you know, how that is for you and what your perspective is on, on the industry in general? I think it's become, it has become very much about, more about the accountants having a, a, a say over what happens in the magazine than the creatives. So it, for me, that is an issue um, that, that they aren't it isn't the same as it used to be i think there's still a huge place for print um and a really good example of that for me is leanne ford's new magazine feel free i think i think the market's ready for a whole shake-up with new bloods coming in and you know i'd love to start a mag um that is on my sort of hit list of things i would love to do at some stage um, I think the magazines have over, well, certainly over here. They've become lean, they've become leaner in terms of the quantity of them, which I think is a good thing um, because there, were, there was a point where there were so many titles. Um, but I think the people, the, you know, the, the head creators on the mags and the you know the editors, there is a they're in a really tricky position because you've sort of got bean counters at one end and creators at the other. And I think it sort of needs to come slightly full circle. Um, I've, I've, I've been very, you know, the, the market is changing and I think for youngsters coming in, they are demanding rights and they like to keep the rights now for work that's submitted. I've never done that and I've never agreed to do that, which means that potentially you reduce slightly who you sell to um but again for me it's about integrity and it's about you know valuing yourself really i think um i think having creative ownership of and copyrights of what you're producing is really important um and the the titles that honor that i think long term will be the ones that survive uh but it's you know, it's it's a tricky marketplace because it's quite, a, and you would know this, I think we've all been in it long enough to know how it works, but I do get asked really regularly um, by young people wanting to come and shadow you or just, you know, have a conversation. I think it is up to us to sort of try and educate the youngsters coming through as to how that process works, but whether they have the ability to do it in quite the same way that we are still 
managing to is another thing. And, and I guess that's the reason why I've probably diversified. So although I still shoot, um, I still style and write quite a lot for magazines, um, you know, starting to do more books, um, to do more mentoring. I'm, I'm sort of in a, my business is definitely in a process of transition at the moment. Um, you know, my website's all being developed and my work is definitely sort of going in different tangents because of where that, where magazines are at. You know, yeah, I, think, I think it's, and also just, just because that's sort of, you know, probably similar to how you are, you keep evolving. And I think if you're creative and you're hungry and you get excited and you're curious, actually you don't want to sit still for too long. So there are so many other things that I think you realize you can go and do and be, but, but there is a core and I, and I, whether that's writing about people or shooting people for books or for magazines, I do love that part of the job. I really like getting under the skin of um, people's stories, storytelling, whether sort of visually or in words I hadn't realized how important that was to me, but actually I think I get a lot from um, learning about other people. And I think in a way that sort of makes your, it's definitely made my own journey richer because I think I've learned a lot from others along the way. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, I, I mean, I definitely believe that, um, you know, this idea of People, I mean, ironically enough, even though magazines are suffering, you know, with with sales and and all of that and the industry changing content, there's never been a more content hungry time than what we are right now. You know, it's just no. in a, it's just in a different format. So like you say, you know, it's um, yes. it's just transferring those skills to something completely different. So, you know, for me, it's. Um, you know, like I said, I'm not doing it for magazines. I'm doing it for my own brand. But for other stylists, it might be that they're creating content for brands online on Instagram. I mean, I just know that, you know, for even photographers that I talk to, like they're, they're not shooting for magazines, but they're just so busy in other ways. They, you know, because, you know, even it's not just magazines that need content now. It's like every single brand out there needs content in Absolutely. some kind of way. So it's a kind of fascinating time in that sense. And I love what you say about Leanne Ford's magazine, um, kind of disrupting the industry a little bit in that sense, because we actually stock at an imprint house and it's been, you know, it just flies out the door. You know, people, I think, like you say, are really hungry for, um, you know, for, for a different take and a different, um, you know, viewpoint and yeah, it's, I think that, you know, anything, any industry gets a bit formulaic. And so it's interesting to disrupt it in that way. So let's talk about your books because, um, obviously, um, well, I'm sure many people are very familiar with your first book curate and, um, which came out in June, 2020. Um, you created that with Australian stylist Linda Gardner, who is very well known in Australia as well as overseas. And I'm, I thought it was a really interesting concept, that book of the two of you collaborating. And I, I remember when I first learned before I actually got my copy, I was like, how are they going to do this? Like, I was just really curious. So can you share um, <laughs> how that book came about um, and how you came to be working together on it. And I know, cause I've, I've 
like I said, I've read the book. Um, and I think it was created during lockdown as well, wasn't it? Or at least finished during lockdown. Wasn't it that was, part of the, yeah. 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 So maybe can you just share a little bit about that book? So, so basically it came about because um, I'd actually been approached by Octopus to write the new book for the White Company, their second book, um, The Art of Living with White, which came out last September. Um, and we literally, I just met with the creative director and the publisher and we'd agreed terms to start that project um, and was expecting contracts, you know, within the next couple of days when literally came home, woke up the next morning and we'd, we'd entered lockdown. So that book went on hold um, for about 12 months. Um, all my work, suddenly shooting work stopped um, that was lined up. And I just pitched some ideas. Um, I pitched about five ideas to um, my publisher, one of which was Curate. Um, and I'd, I'd started working with uh, Linda and Marnie, um, lovely Linda and Marnie, about 18 months before. Uh, and I, again, I was just really interested in, I think Linda had just launched Room and Board, one of her Airbnbs. And I was just interested in trying to write about new people, creatives that were doing great things outside of the UK. Um, and we had quite a lot of material that had already been shot for forward features. So we had, you guys weren't in lockdown. Um, so I sort of had a concept around the, the notion of curate. Linda's seven houses, seven, eight houses, or seven for the book, worked really well to fit with that concept. Um, and our intention had always then been that we would shoot three other Aussie properties to keep it sort of because you guys weren't in lockdown. But then you did go, then obviously that the tables flipped and you were in the same position as us. Anyway, cut a long story short, the publisher really liked the idea. Um, and they really liked the idea of it being sort of, um, you know, across two parts of the world. So we would have sort of audiences in both places and it wasn't really common for people to be collaborating like that at that point, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, it was just a really, for me, it was a really lovely process during lockdown. Um, you know, I would art direct it from the UK. So with, with the books, and again, it's something that I didn't really realise until you're, you're sort of involved in the process. I think I like this whole notion of being involved from the beginning to the end. It's really important to me. And they, they were a very good publishing house in terms of allowing, you know, they gave me creative control to basically lay those pages out. So in order to be able to write it, um, we had all the shoots that Marnie had already done, I think bar three. Um, so a lot of the material was there for the team to see. Um, and then we knew where the gaps were. So, you know, I would have lovely conversations with Linda about, can you set this up? And she would go away and set up, um, you know, we just have all these late night or really early morning conversations about the pages that we knew we needed the material for. Um, so she was responsible for the styling um, of what needed to be done in Australia. 
Um, and then I put the concept together and, you know, wrote the pages over here in lockdown. Um, so it was a really, you know, it was, it was a fun project and it was, we, we wanted it to be a very collaborative process between the three of us. You know, often photographers aren't necessarily bought in on that. Um, you know, so we all share royalties and it just felt like a very, you know, it felt like a really, for a first book, it was a really lovely team process. And I think with, with both of us, you know, Linda Stahl is, um, is immensely recognisable. You know, she's really established and I love her style. And at home, mine is very much, you know, we're very pared back, earthy mix, you know, sort of earthy to monochrome um, in terms of how I decorate. So we, there were lots of synergies. I think creatively, um, we got each other. Marnie, who I've worked with for ages, I really get. Um, we, we work really well together remotely. Um, you know, it doesn't, it isn't necessarily, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that it could happen without actually meeting up in person but it does um yeah no it's incredible that you've you've done that as like a remote kind of project I mean books can be challenging enough let alone throwing in a lockdown and uh you know the incredible distance that you you kind of had to overcome so what about now you've got um at the time that this podcast goes live your next book will be about to hit shelves um, which is called Create. What was the guiding idea for that and how is it different to Curate? So Create is, um, so the, the principle was, was being Create and the subhead is at home with old and new. So it was very much about how people bring together old and new in their home. Um, and I think as you know, as our, you know, as the world is evolving, as sustainability is becoming more important, I w wanted to show how um, a group of creatives had all followed their own path and were all very successfully mixing old and new together in what for me feels a really fresh way. Um, everybody that's mentioned in the book. So again, there's a front there's a front end, um, which is about encouraging you to trust in your creativity. So there's almost two things going on. There's the, the notion of mixing old and new, and there's the notion of creating freely and trusting your intuition and trusting your own style to, to do that for yourself um, and to, to not follow trends and to believe in yourself that you can put those looks together so there are similar in a similar vein to curate there are lots of different steps that people um, can use as a sort of almost as a source book and a guidebook for triggering ideas about how you can um, you know think about color think about pattern and texture think about lighting think about your collections but what I didn't want it to be I I think the same thing that we're saying with magazines about magazines becoming quite formulaic. I just wanted a book that would spark, it would spark their own creativity just from the fact that you're not quite sure what you'll turn the page to. Um, there's, you know, we, we mix photography with illustrations, with 
copy's quite punchy throughout. I, they're more sort of triggers for people to have the confidence in themselves. And I think that for me is a really important thing like within the industry. Like I think the industry can have a reputation for being quite old school and quite hard to break into. Whereas I think it's important for people to realize that um, if you trust your own intuition, you don't necessarily have to, you don't have to have your home designed by an interior designer. You can just think slightly differently about how you're approaching what you have and, and what you use in a more sustainable way and in a more sort of organic way um, and sort of connecting with your senses. So, you know, what the idea of home for me is very much about engaging, um, you know, it's at the heart of everything. It's at the heart of your happiness, your well-being. For me personally, my own creativity, it triggers so many different things. And I think it was about trying to create a book that didn't feel formulaic in terms of here are just, here are 10 houses. And that's what you get when you flick through, which lots of interior books can be. It was, it was more of a case of we want to, I really want to give you sort of triggers to try and inspire you on a, on a journey, A, to be comfortable to mix old and new and not think that you have to keep throwing things out and keep reinventing yourself all the time. Timeless is a good thing. Um, and just to trust in the power of your own thought process. I think there's very much, I think, working in the industry, and you probably, I'm sure, feel the, the same, that the idea of perfection, I think, is one that is really... We've sort of all been slightly sold a story on everything has to be perfect and it really doesn't. Um, so I really, I hope that the pages will sort of inspire people to A, follow their own path, but to be really inspired by the mix of creatives um, that we've included have all had very different journeys and they've all, they've all had their own sort of life less ordinary and um, that was important. They haven't all come in from traditional backgrounds. Um, so, so there's a mix of very sort of pared back, quite earthy through to much more colourful, uh, which is a, you know, which is a transition. And again, it was important for me that we kind of covered off. It wasn't just a monochrome book, although there's a lot of monochrome in it and a lot of earthiness in it, that it's about inspiring people, whether, um, you know, whatever their colour um, Ponchant is. So what, um, were these homes in the UK or were these like, again, collaborate Was Marnie the photographer or did you, oh no, sorry, you said this one you worked with a bunch of different photographers. So are the homes mostly shot in the UK? So there are, there are a few abroad. There's two Australian, which Marnie has shot for me. Um, there's one Parisian house, um, a designer, Mariana, Ava knew whose work I've adored for, for years. I'm delighted to have her in it. Um, the rest of the 10 houses are all UK based. Um, and then we sort of got slight guest appearance from um, a few others at the front of the book. So for example, Melina Berger, who again, I'm sort of a huge fan of her. I loved her in her fashion days uh, for Day Berger and then by Milena Berger and then what she's been doing with her interior brands. Um, I'm thrilled that she came on board. So there's a section in the front of the book that sort of talks about the modern grand tour 
um, the idea of the modern grand tour. Um, and there's a lovely Q&A with Milena in the front. So, and so, and a few other creatives that come into the colour section. So, you know, it's, they're all people who've inspired me on my journey. So it's, it's, a, it's a collective of really lovely, um, but very individual um, creatives who all have a very unique look. Um, so I hope, you know, for a reader, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of new projects in here. There's quite a few of, um, of the properties have never been featured before. They've, they've recently moved home or evolved their home. So, you know, there's lots of uh, sort of very fresh material, which, um, you know, I hope will inspire. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. So you also touched on that you're going to do um, or you are doing more sort of one-on-one consultations, that side of, you know, sort of moving more towards that type of work. Can you share a little bit more about, you know, your thoughts behind that, your approach to that, how it's going to look, you know, maybe even how people can work with you if they're interested in doing that. Um, just curious about, you know, how that's going to evolve for you. Um, well, I've been doing one-to-one mentoring sort of quietly for, for quite a long time now, um, but I've never really sort of shouted about it. My time, because I work for myself and my team is me, um, you know, I don't employ anybody um, at this stage and I've, and I've purposely kept it that way. I, I, I have the luxury of being able to carve up my time sort of exactly how I, how I want to. So quite particularly since Curators come out um, and the White Company book, um, quite a lot of people have approached me who are at a crossroads in their own businesses. And I think because obviously with a background in retail and consultancy, you know, selling antiques and then working editorially. There's lots of different touch points, which for a lot of creative individuals and business, I think is just sort of slightly resonated. Um, And, you know, a lot of that work has come from Instagram. Um, I think people just sort of who connect. I think I've definitely found that my audience on Instagram has been one that, there's a, the connections that are formed on there with certain individuals. It's been really powerful because I think you sort of cut to the chase really quite quickly, don't you, about whether you will connect with someone, whether your values align or your thinking aligns. Um, and I'm really enjoying that. So I think that that's definitely, I want to do more um, and, and people can tap into that sort of on either a short-term basis for sort of two, four hours or four-hour sessions or longer, um, depending on the needs of their of their business, um, and that for me has been really fulfilling. Um, it's really been really fulfilling, sort of going back to my strategy days. Because um, I think agency wise, I always enjoyed both the creative and the strategic side of it. So, yeah, it 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 feels. Suddenly it feels, you know, actually this is the thing I've been doing for the longest in my career. I've been doing this now for what, 18 years. And you, there is a whole raft of knowledge that actually is really lovely to share with people um, and for them to tap into. 
So can you give us some And the same with design. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of perhaps, um, you know, the type of people who are coming to you, like with what kind of uh, roadblocks they're having or issues or, um, yeah, just I, I think that might be interesting to, for people to get an insight and even kind of go, yep, that's me. <laughs> I think on a on a on an independent company basis, there's I think a lot of people. Um, I think still have I think imposter syndrome is huge. I think you know we've all suffered from it at different stages of our life. I definitely have. I, I sort of originally thought it was. Um, you couldn't be all these things and actually who am I to have a voice in that industry when actually, you know, everyone deserves the right to have a voice if they've been doing something for long enough. And I, I think I've learned a lot about myself in terms of getting through that. And I think that those thoughts resonate where there's lots of small businesses that I think particularly in the current climate are either unsure of their own strategic direction and are not confident in that and it's almost like having a a mentor you know I've had some lovely mentors in my life and I think it's like having somebody that can sit either you're really hands-on to help them with their strategy properly or actually it's a sounding post that somebody wants to come and talk to you because you sort of know how their business will operate in a lot of different fields and what they need to have exposure to or access to that I think I probably had a lot of that experience um, and they feel comfortable sharing that. Um, and I think, I, you know, when I'm interviewing people, you know, that they're I probably, I, you know, I, empathy. I think I probably have got empathy with people. I'm quite personable and down to earth. So I think it's, it's, it's not a scary environment for somebody to want to open up to you. Then the flip of that, you know, I've also got corporates that are asking, you know, also wanting just basic consultancy advice on creative projects. So it's sort of at both ends of the spectrum. And again, I really love that because I'm, you know, you're you're testing yourself all the time, aren't you? It's sort of, I like that my weeks are varied and, you know, it's um, it's a privilege to um, to have those insights into small businesses. And I think at the moment, transition is a um, is something that lots of companies are going through um, and wanting to really sort of work out where to put their time and their money. Um, yeah, no, great. Yeah, so it's, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, now, before we get on to the last sort of little batch of questions that I always go through, I just do want to ask you about Instagram. You've touched on it. And, um, you know, obviously it is an incredible marketing tool. It's a incredible way to create community connection, all of those things. But, you know, it can also be a big black hole and it can be um, a huge And I know you've had a disaster. <laughs> I know. I'm just curious, how yeah. do you choose to show up on Instagram? How do you use it? Do you have to set boundaries around it? Um, you know, it can be such a great tool, but it can also be a huge vice as well. And I'm just, I always think it's interesting to get different people's perspectives on Instagram. My relationship with it is very spontaneous, so I don't plan. I don't, I don't pre-plan content that's going up. It's sort of if that's in my head that morning, 
that is what I post. Um, I've tried to keep it quite real. So there's a little bit of, you know, there's some, there's, there's a presence of my work. There's a presence of, of my, my thoughts on subjects. Um, a little bit of personal because I actually, I always, I always think I like to see a little bit of personal behind the people that I'm following, but it's, I definitely could keep it slightly at arm's length and don't, I never get hung up about numbers, audience figures. Um, I just, I think I take it slightly with a pinch of salt. I think I've, I have, I have formed some really special relationships through it. Um, that I definitely wouldn't have found in my work otherwise. Um, but it isn't the be all and the end all. And I think building your own database is really important. And not I, what I've stopped doing, you know, I'm, I'm nearly 53 and I've probably gone beyond the pressure of, you know, I look at people in their late twenties and thirties and, you know, probably 40s, I think probably by your 40s, you're starting to feel very comfortable with whom, what you are. Um, but I think I have definitely gone through those learnings at a, at a younger age. So I, I try not to look at what my competitors are doing, because I think actually we're all doing such a variety of things. Your competition isn't any one thing. It could be a whole multitude of things. So I, I just don't try to get too phased by what other people are doing I just do it for me and in a way it's it's almost um it becomes almost like a a source book or a a marker in time of where you're at on in that week that month your travels your creative inspirations you know it's like a logbook almost um so I I don't I don't feel fearful of it I guess is um is what I'm trying to say. I just, I use it for the creative side, but I, I, I just try not to get too hung up about it. Sounds like um, a very healthy relationship with it. So it's, um yeah, it's definitely, it can be, I like what you say about um to sort of not look at what other people are doing as well. Because I think that that's another side of Instagram, particularly as a creative is if you, invest too much time or energy into kind of what other people are doing and really you kind of need to create from your own wellspring of creativity and ideas and and all of that and that's the work that usually you know stands out and lives on in many ways so um yeah well, I, I think I, it's important I really think so and I think it's you know similar to what we're saying you know I'm saying in the book create it's if you create a timeless if, if whatever you create is timeless, whether that be how you dress yourself, your wardrobe, your home, your your friendship groups, all of those things in life, I think if they become things that you genuinely only attach yourself to because you really love them, then I think that they stand the test of time. Um, and there's a chance of longevity, you know, our homes will get worn around the edges and our, um, you know, we will all age and all those things are going to happen naturally. And I think the, the pressure to show up on Instagram and to be perfect is really dangerous because although it, that in your thirties, that might be 
the way it is and you portray yourself in a certain way by the time you get to your 50s and your 60s and your 70s actually your creativity doesn't go away but you'll probably not want to show yourself in quite the same way as you did when you were young um so i think does that make sense yeah yeah i think it's just i think creating like a yeah creating something that's sustainable and that you can enjoy for what it is without feeling pressurized and i think it's we were that with our kids that i think you want your kids to grow up and to be grounded and um to follow their own path and to be true to what they're thinking and their thoughts not what somebody's telling them they think that they should be i think we sometimes forget that for ourselves um and it's a really important lesson i think you know i think being yourself you know i think you asked me that that was one of your questions most what would you tell your younger self um and i think it's just be true to you be who you are and being you is okay that's and if you evolve and you change within the next 6 months or 12 months that's not a, that's good that's just you growing and um but putting pressure on yourself to be something today that you're not um you're limiting your opportunities to be who you really could become um if you just took the pressure off yeah yeah no it's yeah it is that thing of isn't it like we can sometimes be our own worst enemy <laughs> um oh completely things. yeah yeah definitely and we've all been you know i've been guilty of that we're all guilty of that um but i think it's just i think perspective i think when i left when i left agency world i did leave for a reason and i do like to remind myself that i set up my own business to to really enjoy my family um you know at that point it was just me and ian but you know and now we've got two children that are you know sort of nearly 18 and 20 actually that's what's important to me that you know we've brought lovely people into the world and we've kept our relationship strong um without losing sight of who you are but it's if you're not yourself those other things don't don't um it's impossible for you to have good things around you i think if you're not actually kind to who you are um and whatever stage so i think lots of people will i'll often get lots of messages of them you know i think anyone that's doing something creative i think you know that happens doesn't it people will message you and say how do you do that and they're struggling because they haven't quite got there and i think it's just not losing sight of you know anyone that reads your books or like with you and they see your gorgeous shop and they see you doing courses and you know actually that's a lot of hard work has gone into making all of those amazing things happen but it hasn't happened overnight you've had to be very deliberate about making those things happen um and i think sometimes people think they can go from here to there really quickly but actually if you're kind to yourself and you just give yourself some space to shut yourself away and make those things happen then i think if it's meant to be it does yeah and if it doesn't that's a lesson that will get you to where you should be on something else um yeah no I agree completely and it's it's also that thing of um it's like the small consistent steps over time 
you know, they, that's what gets you to where you want to be. You know, I, I think it's so easy to sort of think, I want this thing and I've you know been guilty of this like I want this thing to happen and you know it you kind of want it to like click your fingers and like will it to happen but it's it really is just kind of like putting in the time and the effort and um just chipping away at it and it just yeah that's how it happens and it's sort of being in there for the long I need to interview you (laughs) (laughs) I would really like to interview you properly about your journey Uh, one day we need to do that (laughs) yeah it's been a long one um so anyway let's get to the final question so which five words best describe you um i would say creative curious um personable uh passionate but that could also flip to demanding i probably am you know there's a there's a double-edged sword with that i guess um and you know i'm quite humble sort of down you know i am quite down to earth um yeah they're great what's the is that five i think yes, that's five. It, is, it is it is um so what's the best lesson you've learned for me it's trusting in your intuition um if you think that something's right or wrong it genuinely is and i think just just go with your guts um and listen to what what you're actually really feeling and nine times out of ten that will be um it's not necessarily what you think is right at the time but if you're if you really feel it then believe in that and trust that what's your proudest achievements Um, I would say probably, well, balancing for me, it's not necessarily purely work, but I, I, I would say it's, it was, it's being able to find the balance between family and work. Um, it was important to me to not lose myself when I had children, but it was also important for me to be around for them and for you know, for all their big milestones. And I think working for myself, I've been able to do both. Um, and that does give me, that, that, that has brought me a lot of happiness to know that I'm not having to race off to a job in London. Um, I can build my life, I've built my work sort of around, you know, also raising a family, um, which has been important. And if, yeah. Yeah, they're great. Um, What's been your best decision? Definitely to, um, well, definitely to marry my husband. Um, my husband, you know, we are, we're a good team and that's been a long time now. So that's, that's been a great decision, but on a professional level, um, to do my own thing and to make that break, um, at a point when your career is sort of, you know you're on the up and that you know that was quite a big decision at 30 to do that but it was definitely the best decision who inspires you um gosh lots of people i'm i'm inspired by so all the creative all the creatives that i work with whether that's photographers i'm working with like you know marnie and all my gorgeous uk guys and girls um 
who inspires me? Well, these are sort of random ones. Nancy Myers inspires me with her films and how she kept evolving and the way she portrayed homes in all of those beautiful film sets. That's definitely had a big influence on, um, I think, the idea of somebody creating at home that feel, is a space that feels good to be in. Um, Leanne Ford inspires me. You know, Diane Keaton's on the cover of her mag this issue. Diane Keaton is a big influence um, in terms of somebody that just wholeheartedly believes in, um, in create the power of creating and about letting go of perfection. Um, Melina Berger really inspires. Um, and Iris Apfel, I had the pleasure of, meet, of interviewing her and she was a really hard one to track down to interview. Um, and that will sort of go down as, as probably, you know, one of my favourite interviews, somebody in their late 90s that uh, is, has followed such a, a brilliant life, um, you know, when she was doing her textiles with her husband and then has completely reinvented herself as a fashion icon. I think for all the kids, you know, coming up through from school, I think, you, you know, She's a really good person. Read her books, you know, look at what she's done. She stayed true to herself. Um, yeah, yeah, she's amazing. What are you passionate yeah, really about? Amazing. Um, gosh, not one particular thing, but sort of anything that catches my eye. So um, architecture, art, um, other people i think energy i think energy is a huge thing um and i think you sense it in people and that that for me is you know that's a huge trigger if, if i if i sense that energy in others i think the power of what you can create together or how you can be inspired by others when you feel that buzz um i think is is really special spirituality sort of does really i'm i am passionate about not in a sort of a completely woo-woo way but in a and if you ever read elizabeth gilbert's big magic yeah yeah, yeah. you ever read her yeah, book yeah, no, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah so she i th i it's really brilliant and i think almost in a way when i first read that and it was quite a long time ago that i think you have those own thoughts in your head don't you um her passion for creating and connecting with your sort of slightly higher self or spiritual self that that has been a big trigger for me um again to sort of do your own thing and be who you are um and to trust that things kind of happen for a reason um yeah no great um what dream do you still want to fulfill I would, I would love to go and live in Italy. Um, Me too. <laughs> and I would love to go and do, oh, we've just come back from Venice and I'm feeling, I think I'm probably feeling particularly inspired at the moment, but I would, I would love to go and do a sculpture course in Florence or just immerse myself in Italian. I'd, I'd like to learn Italian. Um, I'd quite like to go back and do a history of art degree at some point, um, but equally, I'd also quite like to start a magazine, have a picture library. You know, there's so, I've got lots of, there are lots of things that are on my list of um, things I still want to do. And I, and I don't think that, you know, I think 
you can kind of juggle all of that, can't you? Um, but travel, no, travel is a big one. And I would like to, to carve out more time. I need to come to Australia. Um, and just, yeah, I, I feel inspired when I travel. Um, and I think you sort of forget, don't you, with, with lockdown, I think, well, that's all being sort of shut up for such a long time. It was, it was so gorgeous to start traveling again. And I, and I know that creatively, it sparks lots of ideas for me when I switch off. I probably don't ever really switch off, but I think when I just step back from my, you know, my, my usual life, um, yeah, I, I don't want to stop creating. And wherever that kind of takes me, um, I'd like to do more collaborations with people, with people that are on, you know, again sort of similar mindsets um create i'd like to create some products so it's i've got lots of things that i still really want to do um which sort of relate back to you know they all fit but it's just different you know different tangents isn't it and i think that's the trouble when you're creative you've almost got to you know i have to be quite um i do have to be quite sort of controlled with myself because i do have the ability i have lots of things in my head and you obviously can't do it all at once. So, yeah. Have to rein um, it in. I have to learn to temper some of that sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You got, And you've got to create another book beginning with C because it's got to be three books. I just, you can't have just two books. I know. <laughs> it does need to be a trilogy. I have got an idea. There is, there is an it, idea. It's got to begin um, with C though. Which, you know yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> what is it going to be community oh, connection funny. it's going to be a c <laughs> um that's in fact that's really bizarre somebody somebody texted me on instagram this morning about saying you need to do a third called community um that wasn't that isn't the, the one that's no, in my no. head but yeah um yeah it's funny it's yeah the pressure's on isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. it's gonna be yeah verb. <laughs> um okay so yeah have, and I, Sorry, I was going to say, speaking of books, what is, um, is there something that you're, you've got on your bedside table that you're reading or a coffee book? What's your favorite coffee book, um, coffee table book at the moment? Yeah. What are you reading at the moment? Um, well, I obviously love your books. Um, and I must say that because I have enjoyed all of yours. Um, and again, I've loved them because they, they haven't followed a pattern. Um, you know, they've been, yeah, all of them in their own way. They've all been individual. So no, I your books are at the top of my stacks of ones I've enjoyed um, interior wise. So thank you. Um, I am reading. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a nightmare for having. I have quite huge stacks of books that I sort of flip in and out of. Um, I have just started the Peggy um, Guggenheim biography just simply because we've just been there. And I wanted to know more. Um, yeah, there's a lot of books. There's a lot of flicking. There's a lot of magazines. Um, there's a lot of podcasts. Uh, yeah, I tend to, I'm not very good. I, I sort of, I, I tend to find that I read when I'm on holiday, um, properly when I'm on holiday. And I dip in and out of, you know, I might read a chapter of something and then flick to the next book. Um, and I have books that I come back to, like I love. Um, have you ever read The House in Good Taste by Elsie no. DeWolf? No. 
Oh, it's a really, it's a really old, old book. She was America, one of, Amer- of America's sort of first interior decorators. Oh, yeah, no, it's a I really, know, really yes. old book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and I love, I love sort of dipping back into things like that. Um, yeah. Okay. No, well, you've, you've mentioned Big, Big Magic, which is, I mean, that's a great book and it's a great audio book as well. I've, I've read it and I've listened to the audio book as well. Um, which she reads so greatly. Um, well, you mentioned podcasts. What? Yeah, podca- she does. Yeah. What podcasts are you, do you enjoy listening to, or audiobooks or music? What What do you enjoy listening to? I really enjoy this podcast, and I'm, and I would be saying that as I'm chatting to you. But genuinely, I've really enjoyed all the people that you've you've interviewed on here, um, and the same with Ice Swoon. I've really enjoyed more than one thing um she's interviewed some great people in fact rw girl Roman and williams are there are other people that inspire um their her podcast with them i thought was 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 brilliant gabby roslin who you probably don't have in the in australia um she has a podcast called midpoint and she interviews sort of 50 something females and males um from fashion beauty sporting her podcast is brilliant um i've just finished i like i do like audible books so i've just finished um anna murphy's destination fabulous she's the times fashion director um he's just written a brilliant book um and i am listening i'm i am i am listening at the moment to and i and i didn't sort of know what to ex- what i would what to expect from it but jenna um Kushta, if I pronounce that correctly. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, Kushta. Yep. Yes. How are you? I really I'm really enjoying that. Um her book. Um it's inter- really interesting. And again, it's interesting to see those insights behind the people that you see appear regularly on your feed. And I didn't sort of expect her to be quite as down to earth as she was. I've really enjoyed I'm well, I'm I'm enjoying listening to that. Um, I find audible books that are walking the dog and podcasts much more, you know, sort of fit in much more with our life um, rather than me sitting down and finding sort of three hours to sit and read properly. Yeah. Um, one day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love, I love listening to podcasts and, um, or if I'm doing a big drive, an audio book, that's, I'll definitely do that. There's a yes. long distances in Australia, so it's very possible. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and um, I mean, you've t- sort of touched on this already, but maybe there's something else that comes to mind about what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Is there anything else that comes to mind? Um, I would, again, sort of, we've said this, but be, be you. Um, and realize that being you is okay and at whatever stage that is you know there's you know i think particularly if you've got some kind of um learning difficulty you know dyslexia or you're not as completely academic as others around you i definitely see that with the kids at school that they're they've both been and they've done well but they're at academic schools and not all kids are like that and if you're not then being creative in those environments is probably further down the pecking order. So I think just don't lose the 
the the desire to be creative if if it's not something that is as prominent in your younger years um you know as kids it always is i think in your teens it can be something 20s it can be something that peters off slightly um but don't lose that do it for you um i think honesty and integrity are you know for me they're really important um they're just some really important values to to keep with you at all times i think that that will stand you in really good stead as you get older if you're always honest and people trust you um then you know i think integrity for me is is probably one of the most important things of anything and you know and kindness um yeah, yeah and you know and with your home i think the the notion of home is changing isn't it now um i think you know we're all very lucky that we've all got onto the property ladder and i think for again for younger generations that 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 could be quite a different journey in the future and i think just just realize that home doesn't and just be, you know we all write interior books and we're lucky to have written you know i'm very lucky you're lucky we've got beautiful book deals and we have we have lovely interior businesses that we're proud of and that we are passionate about but the notion of creating a space could be you know it can be a, a, a caravan it can be a shack it can be it doesn't have to be this all singing all dancing um huge house i know i've got a friend's daughter at the moment who is converting a transit van um she, she started her she's finished her master's and she started her first job with a um you know sort of a quite a sustainable company and she can work from anywhere so she's literally converting a, a transit van into this very cool home and i think it's just the idea of home for me is a really it's a precious one but for kids starting out that that can be your room it can be your you know it doesn't have to be it can be what you want it to be it's about creating a space that you feel comfortable in and that sort of appeals to your senses and as a plate you know you shut that front door and that's your space i think it's just yeah being realistic about and ambitious but not feeling bad for where you are at at that stage of your life is you know i think it's really important for young people to to take away um yeah no it's beautiful i mean i i, I almost want to end on that because i feel like it's such a beautiful note to end on but I, but my curiosity is really piqued about your own children growing up in a home oh. that has obviously you know you've invested a lot of time and energy into your own home working in the world of interiors you know, has that seeped into their sensibility is, you know, are they creative? Like, do you think they will go on to have creative careers or are they on a complete, have they gone the completely the opposite direction as someone who's got, you know, younger children, I'm always fascinated to sort of see how that plays out. I mean, I've got four children. They're all so different and I can already kind of get a glimpse of like, I can see in some ways, what they might end up becoming because it's just it's so innate partly in them and I'm just curious about you with your children who are obviously older um yeah can you how's how's that so played they, out they, I think they really appreciate 
living in a creative home. Um, so Grace is our elder, she's 20 and she she's just had a year off. Um, and she wanted to, she had a, uh, she had a place at Edinburgh to go and do sports marketing degree, but has declined, she's not, she didn't go. Um, so she had a gap year, worked for a couple of sports marketing agencies, um, and then went to learn to be a ski instructor and, and then spent the next five months traveling. Um, but she, she was, she was very lucky. She had two brilliant sports companies give her a break and one lady took her on for six months um and another sports agency when she came back from canada doing the ski instructor course she went to work for them for six weeks and they offered her a job and she's accepted that um so she hasn't gone down the university route and you know for me again you know writing the ends pages in in create you know it makes me quite emotional chatting about it because i think from one hand as a mum, you sort of think oh gosh i really want you to go to university and have that experience not not just because of the um qualification but the experience but actually she's made the you know writing about the notion of creating freely she's living proof that she's doing that and that makes me really happy. You know, she's working with a really buzzy young agency on Formula One and Premier League football, and she's loving it. Um, and hasn't been made to feel that she's, you know, she's the lowest in the company, but she's got huge ambitions and didn't want to come out of uni with the debts and, you know, just wanted to get on. Um, so I love her for that. And she's obviously, she's now living in Clapham. You lived in London for a bit, didn't you? She's, she's living in Clapham with friends. And so she's sort of left home, which is really good. Um, and I think suddenly it's hilarious. I do look around our house and I keep thinking, gosh, where's that gone? And I go and visit her in her little apartment. And she's, you know, these things are popping up and she's suddenly really embracing the idea of creating a home and loving it. Um, and Archie, our youngest, who's nearly 18, he wants to go to, again, wants a year off. He's about, literally about to do his A-levels in a couple of weeks. Um, but he wants to do a politics um, and international relations degree. So, you know, very different, completely different to his sister, completely different to me. I mean, it doesn't, wouldn't float my boat, but I, I love that, you know, the, the chats you have with him, you know, they're just being themselves. They're following, they're both following their own little pathway which I love and that's ultimately like we I think we almost started with that and yeah it's that's ultimately what you want isn't it for to sort of follow the things that light somebody up and you know are fulfilling and yeah it's like it's representation of who they are so um yeah it is and it's so love and I think it's a very it's a very precious yeah, they're really precious years suddenly you're you know they're all precious aren't they the ages your guys are at it's really special but suddenly you know we have a house full of teenagers and friends and you know grace has certainly got friends that do want to go down um and the same with archie archie's got a friend at school who's a most amazing woodworker and i think they enjoy chatting because to somebody because actually their parents are probably more corporate so what i love is you know, I love helping their friends that are creative. Grace is at that stage. She's been incredibly lucky that 
that she's had really good advice. So I think what I just love is as, as adults, I think it's about us or whatever it is we do that, that we make that space to try and give back a little bit to, you know, the generation coming up through the ranks as I think they are, you know, it's exciting. It's where we were at and it, and it feels like yesterday. And actually it's, you know, it's quite, it's quite a long 30 years ago for me. So that's quite, you know, that's quite a loss of time has passed, but it doesn't feel like it. So it, it is exciting. Um, you know, they're lucky, aren't they? I think if we can all do that, if they can be surrounded by role models, you know, I don't, yeah, that, that gives me pleasure. Um, you know, and there's something else to add to the list on that. You know, I love, I love what Samantha Wills is doing with her foundation. Um, I think she, you know, she, I loved her interview with you, but I read her book. I, I remember ordering it from Booktopia when it first came out. Um, and she fascinated me because I think she's young and she's hungry and it has, you know, she laid her heart bare, didn't she? In, in that book. Um, but again, I think almost every school kid should read that because it, it, it inspired me at my age. I think it would inspire them. It's just, you know, just believe in yourself. I think that's, you know, I, I said at the beginning of the interview, the headhunter I met who said, you can believe, you can be anything you want to be, just believe it. And those words are really, you know, they do resonate with me regularly. And I think, oh, you know, your kids, my kids, if they all listen to things like that, then they will end up where they're supposed to be. Um, yeah no the beautiful beautiful <laughs> way to end so thank you so much for your Aww. time really appreciate it i've loved learning more about you your journey your books how they came about all of the things parenting advice we've got it all in there so <laughs> um thank, thank you. you so much yeah, natalie really appreciate it i've loved chatting with you um and as i say i'd love to do the flip so i've got so many questions i'd love to ask you um so thank you it's much appreciated all of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint. <laughs>